Money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success, others use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it, and how to grow it. This is Tilly Money. Our guest today is Chelsea Bonner, founder and CEO of Bella Management. Founded in 2002, Chelsea was determined to redefine beauty and the boundaries placed on fashion models. With a passion for body positivity and mental health in the modeling industry, internationally respected agency Bella now boasts world first covers and main fashion editorials for curve models in Sports Illustrated, Women's Health and others. Chelsea was a finalist in the New South Wales Premier's Woman of the Year Awards and in 2012 was nominated as Australian of the Year. Her company, Bella Management, were the winners of the Positive Body Image Award for the fashion industry. Chelsea, welcome to the Tilly Money podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. I believe you're currently on the Gold Coast at the moment in a basement. I am. I am. It's a very nice basement. <laughs> I gave you that just to add a bit of light to this conversation. But, uh, so you're looking forward. You're, home, you're normally based in New South Wales, is that right? Yes, I'm normally on the beautiful northern beaches of New South Wales, but um, I came up here to visit family two days before they shut the border. Oh, wow. Hmm. Mm. But you've got some liberty up there, I think, a bit, bit more than what we've got in New South Wales currently, at least at oh, this time. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm so thankful that um, I'm stuck up here with my family, but my businesses are in New South Wales and Victoria, so all day, every day I'm, I'm working in those places, if that makes sense, and all my staff are there. And so... Yeah, so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange one because um, I I feel like Queensland hasn't really isn't really taking it seriously yet, and yet mm. it's been so serious for us down south. So um, it's a, yes, it's a bit strange. It's an odd feeling. Has it been a challenge for you being you know when you said all your staff are in New South Wales and Victoria, and you're there in. Queensland and like all of us we're zoomed out you know tell us about the experience for you as a business owner well I think you know because because we're all working from home anyway um, I can't be with my staff anyway in the office so we've just had to and we learned through the first um, outbreak and the lockdowns um, we learned how to communicate um, really quickly through you know like everybody text zoom teams um and uh even facebook um facebook audio and facebook um uh, video Mm. and lots and lots and lots and lots of emails Mm. yeah yeah. so um yeah but you know i was just speaking to one of my younger staff before and uh, i really am so blessed to have the team around me that i have um because they're such diligent um, caring people and they're all really looking out for each other so mm-hmm. they they really haven't put a lot of pressure on me to make sure I'm the one guiding them through um, they really they've really come together as a team and they all check on each other and 
it's just it's just been really really nice to see so I'm really proud of them mm. sounds a bit condescending but I am I'm no, very I proud know of them saying. I know what you're yeah. saying uh, it's a really good thing to hear actually but um and yeah. you know, we much as we hate Zoom, as you know, someone who like yourself is a business owner, how lucky are we as people trying to keep businesses going that we've got this ability through technology to still keep the doors open? I hate to think that's right without it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the first couple of months of last year, as you remember, when we all thought you know this could be the end of everything, it was pretty scary, and, and um, particularly for my older staff members. You know, my eldest staff member is seventy-one. Mm. and so technology was uh, you know very foreign to her mm. um, but it's amazing watching how far she's come over the last 12 months and now she's you know she's zooming away like everybody else and it's, uh, it's I think it's been great it's been a great learning curve um, for her as well so well, you know I it remember, sort of brings out I remember my my husband's grandmother who I absolutely adored you know she was quite um, a young grandmother and uh, she used to have this must do, can do. And uh, it's a good attitude. You've just got to do it and move on. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, no, she's she's doing really, really well. But, you know, and that's also why she's still in the workforce at her exactly. age is because she's so adaptable. Exactly. And, um, you know, so I yeah, give her all props. Yeah. I hope I'm that flexible and adaptable at 71. I'm sure you will be, as most on most entrepreneurs and business owners do show great flexibility and just they have to. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure you will be. But we'll talk when you are 71 and I'll be older than that. Um, maybe we can talk um, about that. <laughs> but getting we on can, to- We can have a Zoom or whatever. We might be beaming into each other's lounge rooms by then. <laughs> oh, yes, you know, it's, yeah, interesting. Let's hope we don't, we don't get there. But, I mean, in terms of, you know, other viruses or whatever to, um, to bring that kind of technology into life, I just, I don't know about you, but there's nothing better, I find, Chelsea, than uh, face-to-face. So, Yeah, I'm a real face-to-face uh, person myself. And, um, and really, to be honest, I'd avoided Zooms at all costs before, before this happened um, or any sort of um, anything really over the internet because I, I prefer to sit down with people in person. But, um, I, you know, got the hang of it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you just... As I, as I said, Pete's grandmother used to say, must do, can do. So yep, but I want to know more about Bella Management because you might be interested when I tell you that we have the licence. I'm interested. In fact, I deal with businesses like yours because we have the licence to produce Harper's Bazaar. Now, oh. yeah, so as you're going to tell me about what you do, you know, I'm going to relate to that because I think I use similar services. So Tell us about Bella Management. Nobody else would know more about Bella Management than you, I would imagine, Chelsea. No, that's very true. Um, well, Bella Management really um, came about from my own personal want and need to see myself reflected in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't see myself anywhere. And then I looked around me and saw that, you know, I was representative of almost 80% of the market. So, you know, my size, my, my, um, my shape, um, my height, all of those things. And I, then I started to break it down further and say, well, who are we actually 
who are these people selling product to then? Because they're certainly not trying to sell me anything. And um, in fact, you know, they don't even have my size in most of the stores. So that's sort of where it started. It started from me wanting to see um, different versions of, of myself reflected and my friends and my family and my sisters. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, it kind of grew and grew and grew. And um, the, the more I noticed that, that my size wasn't reflected, the more I noticed that um, diversity in general was not reflected anywhere. And yet my friend group and my family group was so diverse. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's sort of where it started was, was just a real personal mission, mm. um, I guess, and um, that ended up translating into, you know, this multi-million dollar business that I run today. Mm. But it's very heart-led still and continues to be that way. And, and my agents and everyone that works for me are really, really interested in the work that we do to help, um, you know, represent diversity and equality um, throughout our media in every way, in television series, in magazines, in in our singers, in mm. in ev- everything that we do. Um, so, yeah, so that's a little bit about Bella, just trying to change the world. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on your wavelength because... You know, with Harper's Bazaar, which our, first, our launch issue came out, you know, we're, at the, we're recording this, it's the 20th of September, so our, um, our launch issue of Harper's is on the newsstands today. And we did exactly what I think you're saying, is that we've got Nakia Louie on the cover and um, she's the most beautifully powerful, um, amazing woman of Indigenous background, in a not yes. sure, perfect smile, you know, electric smile, not necessarily what has been defined as the perfect, you know, female image in terms of body shape, but radiates beauty and positivity. Is this what you're saying when you say that you wanted to to be reflected? Absolutely. And yes. positivity and relating mental health that yes, can ensue when women right. see this notion of the perfect woman has to be a perfect height and a perfect size, and most yes. of us aren't. Yeah. And who and who decided that was perfect anyway, mm. you know, and that's where, you know, all my research in the early years went into, well, who decided this? Who decided that this was the perfect image of a woman? And, and why did we just believe it? And where did that come from? And where did that programming come from? And, um, you know, really dug into the stats and, and, I really wanted to know, you know, how this came about. And it's all about advertising, right? Mm. So at the end of the day, the old belief of advertising, which I, which I can see changes in because, well, mostly because the consumer is too intelligent now to ignore, but that old style of, of marketing and selling advertising and in order to sell products was to scare you into feel like you were um, not good enough and unless you owned that thing, whatever it was, that lipstick, that whatever, you would never be good enough. Mm. And that I've really seen a massive change, particularly over the last five years, um, to now, you know, advertisers are saying and brands are saying, you are worth it. Not that you're not good enough. You are absolutely good enough and you are totally worth, you know, wearing this or owning this. And that has been the 
biggest shift I've seen since in my 20-something years of doing this job and I can't be more happy with that. So um, I want to see more of that, more and more and more of that. And not just me, if you look at the figures, you know, whenever we convince a client who's a little bit hesitant to maybe lose their core customer base and and broaden their, you know, the range of talent that they use and and be a bit more diverse in, in, in any way, um, there's always that um, bit of fear. Oh God, no, but my, you know, my customer base, I don't want to lose my customer base. But once they take that step that, you know, and it only has to be a small step, just that little step forward, a little step forward. It is amazing to see the sales come through and they ring me and say, oh my God, Chelsea, we just 200% we've mm. just gone up, you know, from this one advertising campaign. And yeah. it's because, you know, people want to see themselves reflected. They want to, everybody mm. wants to identify with someone. And if they identify with the person that is used in the image that is selling them the product, they are 200 times more likely to purchase it. Mm. And so we've seen this on and on and on and on and on and not just here in Australia but around the world and um, that makes me feel really proud as well because I felt like as a as as human beings that we could do better and we are so I'm I'm really really happy with with the amount of time I've spent fighting for this change because um you know I love that you know, mostly women, because as we know, women are the, the major consumers of most things, including, you know, things that, that um, like cars, you know, um, the end word is is, fine, is always with the woman in the end. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it just makes me really, really happy to see that, um, you know, women are saying, I am worth that and not, oh, my God, I'm going to miss out or, oh, my God, all my friends have it. You know, I, I love that they're not buying, purchasing out of fear so mm. much anymore. There still is that, obviously. There's, mm. you know, the diet culture, which is a whole different thing again. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we're getting there slowly, yeah. slowly. We are getting there. And as you said, you know, and I think I could answer your question of who created this idea of perfect, but let's leave that one. Let's leave that answer. Um, well I've answered it in my book so if anyone's interested they can read it yeah I will you know I'd also like you to buy a copy of Harper's Bazaar and give us feedback on what you think we've done there as well because you know yeah I will like we buy Harper's every month obviously for the agency because you know all the agents keep up with everything but yeah absolutely we'll we'll get our subscription again this month yeah, terrific. Well, it's back. It's back in Australia and New Zealand now. You know, my company. Bought I know. It. Yeah. So exciting. We were devastated when it, yes. when it looked like it was going to go. Yes. And, um, so it was very exciting that it came back. Brilliant. That uh, Yes, it's, thank you. You know, it's funny. I was watching um, online, actually on our Harper's website, I know, which we launched last week, you know, and they had images from the Met Gala, you know, the big charity ball that mm-hmm. happens in New York every year. And, you know, you talk about, you know, this idea of, you know, the perfect woman in whose eyes, but nearly everybody that turned up for that ball and they were successful people, you know, who were arriving and it was from stars like Beyonce wearing unbelievable labels like Balenciaga and nearly every one of them, they weren't the perfect shape, you know, in terms of the females, the blokes arriving too, but but they looked unbelievable. Being, being a Met Gala ball, you know, they had some kind of celestial theme. So 
the gear was larger than life, but I can tell you a lot of the women were larger, you know, in size as well, you know, in all different proportions and, you know, and uh, and everything was spectacular. And, it, you know, there was all the press there taking photos because these people, all these women were women of accomplishment, if not yes. women, women who were perfect in the definition yes. of perfect that we've just said. So, but tell me. And, you know, and I, I think that that's the biggest change we've seen. Mm, without a doubt. But tell me, you know, you, you wanted to be um, reflected into the world, you know, you said that, and so you started Bella Management. When, mm -hmm. when did it start? Tell us about Bella now. Um, so it was, I started it from a computer in my bedroom. I had a full-time job as an agent, but I was a photographer's agent back then. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started it as a sort of a side project, I guess, and I ran it lightly for uh, at least two or so years, I believe, until mm -hmm. I thought if I can just make enough money to cover the rent and buy a week's worth of groceries without having to have a full-time job, mm -hmm. that's when I'll make the shift. Yeah. So I did all, all my marketing in the morning before I went to work in tea breaks. I answered phone calls during my lunch breaks in my afternoon tea breaks, mm -hmm. and then I'd go home and I'd work all night. Mm. And um, I did that for, for two years. And then I finally got to the point where I was making enough money to go full time with it. And, um, and I did. And I, I moved into a different apartment and set up a proper little office, but still in my apartment. Mm. And I ran like that for a few years. I was, I was um, because I was self-funded, completely self-funded. And, um, I, you know, I went to the banks. I had my business plan. I, I couldn't get a dollar out of anyone. No. Um, uh, but it was very different back then too. You know, we're talking 20, 21 years ago. So um, the first question out of people's mouth was, uh, what did my husband do? Mm. Wasn't married. Mm. Um, you know, was I thinking about having children in the future? Mm. I mean, you know, I don't know how I was supposed to answer that, but, um, you know, all these questions that lenders would have for you back then as a woman in business and um, yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't get any funding. So the only way I could do it was to um, do it all by myself, mm. which is great now because I own one hundred percent of the company. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a lot of know. a major question that you know back then and still exists, and to some extent it is understandable. You know, because banks are lending money, and you know, for a lot of people start up, but you know, banks. You know, they know businesses can roll over as well. Your questions about yeah. who your husband is and you're going to have children, irrelevant. But yeah. I do also see a degree of relevance with banks when people want to borrow money and they want they want some kind of, you know, bricks and mortar, you know, some kind of something to back the risk. When, yes, when, but when did back, you get then, yep. back then there wasn't, you know, these days, I speak to young female entrepreneurs all the time. I do a lot of a lot of speaking circuits and women's in business conferences. And it always just blows my mind when they say, I had an idea. I went on Crowdfunder. Mm. I put my idea out to the universe and I got $100,000 to start up. We didn't, there was nothing like that existed no. back when I started. And um, I just think it's amazing now that there's all these different ways that you can you know, put your idea out into the universe. You don't even have to go to a bank anymore. And there are people from all around the world who can read that and go, yeah, actually, I'm going to put some money into that. I think that's a great idea. Mm. And isn't that, I think that's so liberating. I just love that. 
Mm. So as you as you went along, were, were you always cash flow funding? Were you or always? Time? Yeah. So I had to do um, if I was having you know lean months or whatever. I'd 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 just ring around and see if I could get some jobs um, styling on sets or helping a stylist iron clothes or anything I could do for extra cash. I had to go back to modelling for a little while mm-hmm. um, to pay the bills and um, keep the business going. I just did, I just did whatever I could do to keep going because it, it was it was a love project, and I actually never expected to make much money out of it. I was just hoping to make enough to have a living wage. You know that yeah. was that was my goal. Um, it really was about trying to change people's perceptions and. I just knew that, um, you know, inspiration and aspiration doesn't come in one size. It doesn't come in one colour. And, it, it, you know, I knew that if we could get that message out there and we could convince more and more clients to try it, more and more magazines. Cosmo was an incredible partner of mine for a long, long time. Um, Australian Women's Weekly was incredible. Mm. Um it, it just really helped push that message out there. And the more people see it, the more they loved it, the more magazines they bought, the more clothing they bought, the more hair care they bought, and everyone could see mm. that it had merit. So, um, yeah, so it was just, so you know, it's you very exciting. That, yes, you had that initial kind of impetus with whatever it takes, you know, to get you going. When did you look back and you think, I'm, I've kind of, I've got a business here as opposed to, you know, doing everything that you had to do to keep the whole thing afloat for a living wage? When did you feel that, hey, this is happening? I think it was about 10 years in. (laughs) And I I looked up from my desk and I had three staff members in an actual office. Mm. Um, And I thought, oh, my God, I've got a business. I've got staff. Yeah. I've got, you know, people who rely on me to make sure I do a good job here because they, you know, they've got to pay their mortgages and things like that. And that's when mm-hmm. I sort of realised that I'd created something that potentially was going to um, survive, mm-hmm. you know, long term. Yes. And um, you know, now I've got twelve agents and uh, admin staff as well, and and obviously finance divisions and that sort of thing so I'm, I'm you know I'm just so blown away really that um that I'm here still and uh, more importantly that I'm not the only agency in the country that represents size diversity mm. um or age diversity or ethnicity I'm not the only one doing that now that everybody's jumped on board Mm. and that's really you know people say oh doesn't that annoy you that your competitors but it's not that was the whole point in the first place Mm. (laughs) that was the whole point so you know no that actually makes me feel really 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 proud that these agencies that looked down their noses at us for so long are now copying me (laughs) I think that's brilliant yeah (laughs) yeah it's a good form of flattery when you're successful and people it's annoying sometimes but you know, it shows you're successful when people start when people start to um to do what you're doing. Take us Absolutely. more into the integrity of the business. So, you know, where did you get the where did you get your staff from, and and what, what's kind of your whole employing people can come with bliss, and it come can come with um, challenges as well. Take us into yes, that. can. Um, I think that when when 
we employ people, it doesn't take me very long to figure out whether they're going to be a good fit or not. I mean, obviously, during the interview process, it's really hard to get a, a total feel for for somebody and you, you're sort of taking a certain amount of risk, as you know, jumping in and employing someone. But within that trial period, we generally can figure out whether they're, they're the right fit for our business. And I know because of what I do, a lot of people think that, um, and a, maybe a lot of agencies are, in fact, they are because I used to work for them, but um, there's no ego in my business. We all, I take the bins out. If, if the bins look full, I take them out. If someone needs a cup of coffee, I'll go get them one. There's no real hierarchy. Obviously, there, there is in a way, but as far as sharing tasks, sharing the job, sharing the load, everybody pulls for everybody else and steps in where, where they're needed. And we can generally tell within you know very small amount of time whether we can just see if someone's not putting their hand up, then they're probably not going to work out long term because that's that's part of the success of Bella is that we really do think of each other as a team. Mm. And um, you know, um, I'm a bit like a coach, but um, I'm quite happy to get dirty, and I do. So um, yeah, that that's for me. That's the type of employee that I'm looking for. You know, um, I yeah. It's um, it's a hard it's a hard one to explain, but yeah, it, it very quickly works itself out. So you're saying that you use that three to six months, what's often called the probationary period, as yes. time when you really can see if this is a cultural fit. You know, if it's um, that's right, or yes. if it's a, you know a total employment fit for both of you, for both you and the person you're employing. Um, yeah, that's right. And I don't like to micromanage people. I find I found that when I was working for other people, I found that very annoying, and I it always used to block my process. I couldn't think things through to completion um, because you know when you've got someone telling you how things have to be, and we do it this way. This is how it's done, and there's a process, and we do it this way because of this, and it doesn't allow you know especially in a job like ours where it is so quick and so fast and you've got lots of information coming at you from different directions those types of rules don't really work and you can't really even apply them so someone who's used to a very um, process orientated job would hate being an agent because it just every minute of every day is so different Mm -hmm. and um, so you have to be a really flexible thinker and you have to be able to think really fast because things go wrong really quickly if you don't you know if you if you don't have the ability to think on your feet so it's quite a tough job because you have to be a bit you have to be good at administration you have to be good at negotiation you have to be quite firm but you also have to take into account everybody's different personalities and you have to speak to everybody on a different level so you really kind of have to be a bit of a jack of all trades and a psychologist at the same time. Mm. Um... <laughs> I bet you. So just give us a little bit more detail of where you are now because I want to talk about where you want to go. But, you know, all mm. your agents, are they involved in, without giving trade secrets away, basically yeah. they're involved in, I guess, looking for for models, you know, that mm-hmm. not, not scouting. perfect scouting and then placing yep those yes. talent for want of a better word within various yes. media 
you know, whatever form that takes. Is that kind of That's in a right. what they do? Yeah. So we, um, you know, most good agents are watching, constantly watching what is happening in out in the world. So in the news, in film, in theatre, in song, um, influences from into fashion come from absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so you're always sort of forecasting ahead to see what, what is going to translate through to the next season. So, you know, but when we do that, we can see, okay, this type of um, photography, we need to have all the models retested because they're going to need shots like this. So we're trying to sort of influence the way our talent um, look or are marketed at the same time, but we're always future focused. So we're always thinking at least three to four months in advance for the next season. So, um, and if you get that wrong, you very quickly go out of business because mm. if you've got, if you don't have images that reflect what's about to happen or what is currently happening, and if you haven't prepared for that earlier and you don't have that, then, you know, your whole board of models will will suffer for that mm. and they won't get the amount of work that they should be getting. So it's it's quite... There's quite a lot to it. There's a lot more than what people think. It's not just about finding a pretty face. And, um, you know, and the other thing too is that I know not, again, not for all agencies, but for my agency it's been really important to me to foster actual careers. So I don't want to sign someone for a minute or a season or a year and then have them fall out of out of favour or, you know, just not have the look of the season and then they just get shuffled off the pile that's not my business model my business model is to find talent who I think have longevity who I can take from a new green young model but who's you know has enough to maybe when they've done their time modeling we can move them into tv or we can move them into presenting or we can move them into designing or you know Mm. we want we want the people that we work with to have whole careers not just a, a you know a minute or, you know, as Andy Warhol famously said, they're 15 minutes in the sun, yeah. you know. Um, so I've still got models signed with me that have been signed with me for 20 years from mm. the beginning. And, oh. yeah, and sometimes you see things that other people don't see. You know, one of my top models at the moment, Rosalind, um, she, her look is of the moment and has been for, you know, probably the last 18 months. But I signed her nearly 10 years ago <laughs> because I loved her so much mm-hmm. and I could see that there was a place for her in the market and there needed to be a place for her, more importantly. And she stuck with me and stuck with me and stuck with me and got rejected and got rejected. But now she's working really well. So if someone's just not working, I don't just throw them away. I try to, you know, reinvent them or get their shots different or wait the market out. But um yeah, sometimes I'm a bit early, but, you know, uh, the models that, that stick with me have benefited from that, you know, from that um, that site, I guess. Without a doubt. So you're 20 years down the track now and I'm mm-hmm. sure that you have learnt so much. You mentioned that you said you had a flat structure, but at the end of the day you're the leader. What What have you done to enhance your leadership skills and what kind of leader are you? Oh, <laughs> you probably want to ask the staff that. Um, 
look, the director of my Melbourne office said to me the other day, you're very kind. <laughs> so uh, you're a very kind leader, a very kind um, boss. But I'm also, I'm not, I'm very direct. I, I don't, um, I like to get to the crux of the issue or the problem quickly and fix it. I like to um, always be looking forward to catch problems before they even start. Mm. Um, I'm very hyper aware of, of how people are feeling um, and I think that's really important to take notice of how people are feeling around you because someone can be doing their job and doing their job really well but, you know, if they're miserable, they will leave mm. and they'll go somewhere else and I don't want that to happen. So I think that's really important and I think establishing a level of friendship, you know, that's, um, you know, maybe not, you know, going for dinner every Friday night together, but they know that they can rely on you if, if um, they need to. Mm. You know, having someone solid in your life that you can lean on I think is really important. And if that can be your boss that you can share those things with, then I think it alleviates a lot of stress off employees because they don't feel like they have to come into work hiding things if they're feeling sad or they're feeling sick or they're feeling worried about a family member or something like that. I encourage everybody just to speak speak those things out loud because it diffuses mm. any you know any of those situations and you know if they need to go and sit and have a little cry in the courtyard they can and no one's judging and I think that just makes everybody feel like you know just so much calmer it's a much calmer place than trying to hide and be the be you know the best at everything all the time and never showing any cracks and that's an exhausting way to live. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to take Bella management, Chelsea, like you are where you are now and it's a very personal, you know, kind of business. Um, yes. You know, there is a new school of thought about kind leadership and uh, you said that you've been described like that. But the bigger you get, the, in many ways, the more distant you can get with those people who need empathy and need to know that, you know, the leader is there and how, how, where do you want to go with this? What's the vision that you see and how do you keep your culture within the business, the culture that you've been describing since we first started talking? Well, the idea for me long-term has always been to turn the business over to my employees and my staff. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm hoping over the next, um, you know, five years or so that I'll be able to give them, you know, all pieces of the business so that they feel really invested into it because it's never for me been about money so profit's not that interesting to me it's about the work so making sure I've got I'm working with a team of people who are you know like-minded who know how much more we've got to do because we have come a long way but there's so much more to do Mm -hmm. and so encouraging people to come and work with us that that are like-minded and giving them a stake in the business that they're helping to create Mm. that's my ultimate dream is that everybody's everybody's in there working for each other and for the you know world in general Mm. Mm. interesting who who have they been you know the people that you look to to learn about business and to learn even about leadership you know who are your role models Um, Well, I'm not formally educated. I left school uh, when I was about 15 and home and went and made my own way in the world. But I've always been a really avid reader. I 
read everything. If you give me any sort of book or someone gives me a tip about a book or a podcast or an audio book or a documentary to watch, um, I'll watch it. And so there's just so many people I've found impressive in my life that I've taken a little bit of everything that they've um, said that's resonated with me and sort of compiled my own little um I don't know, guidebook, I guess, to life. But, you know, ethics is a really strong one for me, you know, um, having really strong moral and ethics. Actually, somebody suggested lately, uh, I was saying that sometimes it's very difficult to make business decisions that go against your heart, you mm -hmm. know. And um, I, do I do it, obviously, but it's very difficult sometimes for me. And um, she suggested a book to me, uh, called black hands thick heart mm. something or thick face that's right black hands black thick hands, face, thick face. Mm. yeah and I I haven't been able to find it online but I've, I've got to try and find that book because she said it, it discusses exactly that how how to be a you know how to maintain your your empathy and your ethics whilst mm whilst conducting yourself in a business world. And honestly, for me, that's been the hardest, the hardest thing for me to do is to not always make decisions, um, you know, from that heart space because I have to look at the whole picture and that's, that's always the most difficult decisions for me are those ones that conflict. And they do and you can't avoid it as a business owner. You, unfortunately, you have to make decisions that you don't necessarily like as a human you don't necessarily like them and that you wouldn't make those decisions in your personal life, but you have to make those decisions in your business life. Um, Could you give us an example of something that you felt without going into, the, you know, too much detail, but where you had to make a decision that probably didn't um, resonate with the core of who you are? I think, um, you know, the most recent um, decision I had to make in regards to that was... Um, was, you know, around do I help, you know, through the last COVID lockdown, I had the, the ability to help a lot of people um, but it was going to cost me a lot and it was a huge risk for me personally, financial risk, or I could just help a couple of people. Um, and I chose to help as many people as I could, which put my personal finances at risk, the company at risk. You know, there was a lot of risk involved in my accountants and everybody was saying, don't do it, don't do it, but I did it anyway. And, um, you know, there, there's those sorts of situations where um, sometimes I don't do the smartest thing um, business-wise because uh, it's more important to me to save as many people as I can than to save the top few, if that makes sense. No, it does indeed. In fact, as a woman in, in Sydney, Margaret Lomash, she's, um, she runs a company that's based on the Central Coast called Destiny Financial, and Margaret started a couple of months ago, very similar to what you're saying. Um, she noticed, you know, so many people going through difficult things, particularly, you know, with the CBD and you know the shutdowns you know that you know businesses from dry cleaners to small restaurants and beauty mm -hmm. parlors and you know with the list goes on and mm -hmm. so she came up with the idea in the early hours of the morning called adopt a shop 
and oh, she yeah. a lot of us and she put a lot of work into this and did all the financials and then went around to businesses that were still affected because very few businesses yeah. have been affected at all by COVID. Very few, yeah. You know, just asked, is there any way you can help out these businesses, you know, pay rent or, you know, just something. Not not necessarily the businesses that would no, never open their door again, but just help some businesses keep their doors open. So you sound like you're talking about that kind of thing, you know. Yes, yes. You know, I've got this real thing about, I think because I grew up in the industry, my dad and my mum were very, very famous. And so I know that no matter how famous or rich or wealthy or, or, or how many people ask for your autograph, you are just a human being like everybody else. And you've got the same issues. I, you know, we grew up around a lot of famous people and they're just people. And so this mm. idea that I should save these people because they're more important than the rest of them just felt really abhorrent to me. <laughs> Couldn't do it, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, so sometimes, you know, um, my financial controller gets very frustrated with me because I make decisions <laughs> that are, that are um, pretty scary. But, I, you know, the thing is, and, you know, my, my basic mantra for myself is I've got to sleep with myself at night and yeah. if I can't get into bed and close my eyes, I don't want to do it. Yeah. No, I can hear what you're saying. So that leads me to probably our last question and I think I know a little bit of it already because you've already said that it's not about the money. Um, but how do you frame success for yourself and for your business, Bella Management? Success for me is continuing to get up and do something that I really truly believe in every day that's a that's a joy and it's such a privilege um, that I still get to do that after 20 something years and I, I you know want to be able to do that forever and I want to bring as many people on that journey with me I want as many people as I can to get up and enjoy their lives um, as possible and you know I know because I've been around so much wealth in my life that um, money really doesn't bring you any happiness I know a lot of very unhappy billionaires mm. and I I know a lot of really really happy um, you know like one of my best friends single mum four kids lives hand to mouth maybe has $20 left at the end of the week and she's one of the happiest people I know <laughs> Um, because she's surrounded by so much love and she mm. finds the joy in, in everything. Mm. So, um, you know, that for me, I think, uh, is just that sense of peace, knowing that I've done everything I can that day to, to um, try and make the world a little bit kinder, a little bit nicer, a little bit more forgiving and um, a little bit more interesting. And then I'm happy. That's it. Well, um, Chelsea, I hope you get up every morning and have that feeling because it's good to know that there are people operating in the world, particularly during these challenging times. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and I hope we have a chance to talk with you again and all the very best to you. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Thanks, Chelsea. Bye. Your host this week was Maureen Jordan. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. To keep up to date with all of our content, follow us on Instagram at tilly.money. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music.